The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. guest today is known as the country's best professional power brokers of deals, money and relationships. He leverages his vast field of influence and extensive contact base to bring a range of serious players together, getting exceptional deals completed and outcomes banked for his clients that few others are able to achieve. Phil Jones, welcome to In Discussion today. Thank you so much, David. It's good to have you here, Phil. I'd like to start off uh, with our listeners just to let them know that you are founder of Presidential Inner Circle. And as with all of my guests, I like to provide them with the visibility of your background. May I start by asking you, Phil, where do you originally come from? Uh, I originally come from the beautiful country of New Zealand. Whereabouts, in the south or the north? Uh, no, in the North Island of New Zealand, uh, originally from uh, Auckland. Uh, that's where the weather's a little bit warmer. What was it that you were thinking about in your earlier years, in your childhood years, as far as a career was concerned? Did you have any idea at that stage as to what you would like to do? Uh, to be honest, I didn't. Um, you know, like most people, I went through the the school system, didn't really know what I wanted to do, and my father said to me, he said, uh, become a, an, an electrician, um, they're the ones that make all the money, so that's what I did, I became an electrician and fell through a couple of ceilings in the process of my apprenticeship. What was it that brought you to America, Phil? Was it the simply the business opportunities, or, or was it the culture? What was that attraction? When I started the Presidential Inner Circle in 2006 in New Zealand, the market was so small and so geographically remote that although the business idea was fantastic, it really was located in the wrong part of the world. And so uh, the obvious stage after the business matured or after three years of operation was to relocate it to Los Angeles, where... Uh, where I now am, and, and introduce that to a much bigger market, and it's been a huge success. Let's look at the the world of business for a, a bit before we talk about the definitive mission of the Inner Circle. How do you see business today in terms of sustainability, corporate structure, responsibility? What are your views on that? I think business owners focus should have significantly shifted with the change in the economic conditions over the last two to three years. Um, I, I think what I'm surprised about, though, is, is that although the economy has changed, a lot of business owners uh, tend to accept that, that, uh, that their business is going to change with the economy rather than outperforming the economy and ri rather than rising to the challenge of the economy. And so I, I think the tough economic conditions of the last few years in, in many ways have, have burnt off the 
you know, the weaker businesses and provided the stronger businesses with an opportunity to uh, innovate, to do things differently, to look at their cost base. Uh, and to think outside the box in terms of how they market and promote themselves. Where, in your view, does that begin? Does it begin around the board table at executive level that then filters down through the workforce and eventually to the consumer? No, I actually uh, I prefer bottom-up rather than top-down. Uh, I think bottom-up leadership is much more effective because you've got people uh, on staff interacting with customers that know what's going on rather than people that sit around a board table and are making strategic decisions you know, based on a set of numbers that, they're, uh, that the business is performing. So what I would encourage, I guess, is um, to form cells or groups uh, at the bottom of the business and encourage them and facilitate a process where that they can review what they're doing and give them some license to you know, think radically and, and outside the box. And often the ideas that come up the tree from that, you know, mind-blowing and substantial. What are the challenges in that area that they have to overcome on the floor level, as it were, to be able to connect with leaders in a corporation there's obviously a divide there but what are the main instincts of people at this this level that 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 can connect better with those in the boardroom environment i think the biggest barrier is shifting people's mentality from an employee mentality to a business owner's mentality and you have to do that through a level of empowerment or openness or transparency or encouraging communication and if you can do that then you know people are on the front lines also radically change their view of, of how they interact with the business you know, there was a, a book that was written, you know, 15 years ago, plus by a guy by the name of Ricardo Semler called Maverick. And that held a, a number of very radical business ideas that worked for him in a Brazilian company. And I guess, you know, I'm an advocate of thinking outside the box and encouraging people to talk about the business and to contribute to the business rather than just sort of turning up and working within it. Now, does that essentially mean that at the top levels there has to be a mind shift it reminds me of uh, the great E.F. Uh, Schumacher who wrote the book uh, Small is Beautiful. Is there a mind shift that has to be taken on here that doesn't automatically focus on the shareholder and the profitability, but uh, on the core product itself and the value that that provides to the consumer before that they can start considering the margins and the costs, etc.? Yes, I think you've hit the nail on the head. And look, the, the reality is, is that all business is about people and it's about the performance of people. And wherever you can facilitate uh, movement forward in the performance of individuals by their attitude, by a better understanding of the business, by them uh, relating to the vision, the leadership and the direction of, of the management, that was always going to be reflected in the, in the bottom line end result. In your view, is there some pushback at the moment or I suppose a decadence in that outlook at the boardroom level that still looks at business as it would have done five or ten years ago rather than looking more at the new paradigms that we're faced with uh, today with uh, globalization and obviously some fairly uh, severe economic factors? I think there is, David. I, you know, I think it's difficult when you have a changing landscape in business and, and you develop as a you know, director or president of a company a certain style and a certain leadership and, and that works with you, you know, but then the market changes and, and I think 
the USA is the great entrepreneurial background, and you know, the job of business owners these days is to consistently be thinking, what can we do differently? How can we move this business to the next level? What changes do we need to make? And I think that that also starts with asking some hard questions of yourself as a leader. You know, a- am I doing the best job that I can do? Am I interacting with the people around me and providing clear guidance and, and direction? Am I focusing my time and attention on the things that really matter, or am I focusing my time and attention on the things that I've always focused on? Now, is this in part finding a great sense of consciousness in any of these levels, maybe even spiritually, to the point where you have to really rethink yourself, look at yourself and realize that every action, every word, uh, every feature that you have on your face is going to be reflected upon those who perform below you or above you? I like the word consciousness. I think you've hit the nail on the head. You know, that word is golden because there are a lot of people in businesses that aren't conscious of what's going on and they're on autopilot because the business has been successful for a long period of time and it will continue to be operating in its standard mode of operation. But that's not to say that they shouldn't be looking at other ways to, you know, innovate, change and and be different. And, you know, change has got to be initiated from the top but it's got to be driven from the bottom. And, uh, and that comes down to the psyche of the leader. What about the issues that we hear in think tanks about consumerism, about manipulation of people uh, through mass products or, or companies like Walmart, that our lives are, are driven to these lifestyles, are insisted upon keeping up with the Joneses, as it were. Do you feel that there is any merit in, in those statements, or do you think that that's possibly a pessimistic standpoint? I think you can't get away from market forces driving to you know, distribution centres like Walmart. Um, and I think you can't ignore market forces like the huge shift that's occurring with social media. Uh, you know, I'm still blown away with uh, how many business owners aren't on Facebook and they just, you know, they're ignoring the potential of a huge captive advertising market, which is free. It's now the, the largest global connected network in, in the world. And so I think you do need to acknowledge some of those things, but at the same time, you know, success in business is about niche marketing. It's about understanding what your product or service is, and it's about really clearly focusing on that and owning a niche market, you know, not just participating in it, but owning it, dominating it, and that's where your profitability comes from. And I suppose that part of that is being more aware of what consumers really need, what they are limited to, how the economic conditions has impacted them, and then maybe taking a complete relook at your product and, and having an open mind and being more visionary about what you can do to supplement your existing business model, maybe looking more out of the box and expanding your range of products or services? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, uh, everything starts with the consumer and finishes with the consumer. You know, if they don't buy the product, then everything fails. And so it, it is a very important time, particularly when the economy shifts and changes and people's spending patterns change, to be able to engage consumers in focus groups, to be able to go back to the market and, and listen, in, you know, inherently to what it wants. Uh, you know, one of the things that I found in businesses, though, is that as much as you can do that, there are always blockbuster products or blockbuster services that consumers would never have thought of because they've never been created. And so there certainly is an element for an internal think tank within a business to start thinking of what if we did this or what if we did that. 
uh, you know, and testing some of those ideas in the marketplace. And, you know, look at Apple. I mean, you know, a- Apple Apple is the, is the master of that in, in the U.S. market. You know, the launch of, uh, of the iPads um, has just been huge for Apple. And, you know, it, it's, it's not new technology, but they've packaged it in a way which everybody... Uh, accepts and it's been you know phenomenal success what about the face value of leaders phil and i suppose the face values of leaders and everybody uh, down through those levels who have to take this greater sense of responsibility and pride in their product do we have to see larger companies now practicing philanthropy at a greater level being more out there, being more willing to help, being more willing to give up profits towards uh, non-profit organizations, towards charities? Is this going to be a big part in solving a lot of our uh, community problems? I think it is. I I think there's two big shifts that have occurred in corporate America. One of those shifts is obviously a movement towards green, you know, green products and and companies being much more um, focused on uh, conservation of energy, conservation of water. Um, you know, and, and the other focus is, uh, you know, is the one that you've mentioned, is, is that uh, businesses really need to integrate the charity and the philanthropic focus into what they're doing because consumers are much more likely to buy into that. And it shows that the company has a heart. It shows that the company has a care for people outside of those that they're directly servicing. Um, and by building the bridge into those communities, I, I think you get a huge amount of brand loyalty and respect back from the marketplace. Going back to that whole social media paradigm, it's a difficult one, is it not? If you still have a lot of leaders, a lot of executives who are working in the old establishment, it's hardly surprising that they're taking that on. And I totally agree with you that social media... I suppose in its infancy was more of a personal point of sharing, but the way that I look at Facebook and Twitter and all of these other portals, there must be a way of converting those to more of a corporate sense of identity, of revenue. There definitely is. I, you know, I mean, we've mastered that in, in our business. 60% of the revenue of our business comes off Facebook, which is a free advertising platform. I mean, it's just, and we're talking, you know, serious six and seven figure income um, off a free social media platform. I think the way that you become successful on that platform is not to provide a corporate profile. I, I think social media is actually about the customer being able to connect in a direct way with the company which is getting away from the barriers that often the corporate structure provides. You know, many companies have got uh, funnels for customers to contact the customer service centre and to interact with product and give feedback. Uh, and Facebook really is just another channel that a company can use to uh, improve its communication with its customers and get them passionate about the the brand, the product or the service and and what you're doing in the marketplace. What is it about people in any area of business right now? Certainly, I spend a lot of my time clearly talking to business owners, uh, politicians, leaders all over the world, and a lot of them feel are terribly pessimistic, terribly down in the mouth. What is it that right now, because I think that people focus on the politics too much, focus on the problems that we have in ecology, in in the natural disasters, how is it that people need to switch this around? Because this pessimism that I'm seeing in business, it frankly is quite 
futile? Is it that they need to bring in third-party mentors into larger corporations, in, into any size of business, to, to help them, to, to get them out of that problem that they're personally facing? I think businesses have, have got two issues with that, David. I, I think the first issue is, is that they need to focus on the solution rather than on the problem. It's very easy to get caught up in the problem and get bogged down in that and, uh, you know, spend a whole lot of time on that. I'm just solution-focused. It's like, you know, in a discussion with my team, if you're not going to contribute towards the solution, then please don't contribute because you're wasting everybody else's time. So I think you do have to be solution-focused. I also think that there's a, a little bit of media conditioning of what's going on, and, and the connectedness of the world is getting smaller with, you know, social media, with the Internet, with TV and radio distribution by satellite. And so, you know, that means that often discussions that would happen in smaller pockets of the community are now happening in much larger areas. It's very easy sometimes to get caught up in the hysteria or the negativity. The oil spill, I guess, is, is one example. And I've spoken to several people in the last few days and just said, I cannot believe this thing has gone on so long. And it's largely because it just hasn't seemed to be any good quality leadership in the way that they've driven a solution. It's, it's been put together in a haphazard manner. Um, and, you know, businesses have got to act differently uh, and, and be much more responsible and solutions focused. I'm a great social historian, Phil, and I drive that in my programs to remain very pragmatic and very solution-led, as you've said. We do have still a lot to learn do we not with the founding fathers with a lot of the old ways of thinking that there are so many things that people like jefferson or lincoln had to say then that are as important then than they are now if not more important now in revitalizing people as being their own capitalists as as having their own tools yeah, uh, you know, I think FDR was, you know, one of the greatest leaders that the U.S. has ever had. And, you know, I think many people today, you know, should be saying if the situation, you know, with the oil spill occurred in the days back then, would have been handled differently. And I think the answer is absolutely. You know, and, and wisdom never gets goes out of date. And I think sometimes we get bogged down in what we're doing. We, do, we get caught up in the media. And sometimes it's, it's helpful as a business owner to take yourself out of that and to look externally back at the business rather than internally out from the business and get a different perspective and be as objective as possible. What about in personal terms, Phil? It's terribly important, is it not, to be able to be successful in business now, be very driven, but also to be able to reflect that in your personal life, be able to reflect that in your family life, return to those traditional values. How can people assure that? I think the balance is the key to success and I think we've all seen people that have been very successful in business and very unsuccessful with their family lives or in other areas and there's lots of politicians that have been exposed for doing a whole range of things that they shouldn't have done because they lack that balance in their lives and so you know, I think the definition of success for an entrepreneur is to be successful from a healthy perspective, from a mental perspective, from a family perspective, from a business perspective and that really means that you have to maintain priority on all of those areas and you have to manage all of those areas because we all naturally gravitate towards one or two of those and have strengths in those areas and tend to give the other areas less priority. And it's just constantly setting a plan. Each week I set a plan for myself and make sure that I've got as much balance in all of those areas as I can because ultimately 
it's that balance that helps me move forward and be a better person and a better thinker as an entrepreneur. Now, does that mean that my initial premise of bringing in mentors or independent organisations or counsellors into the boardroom for people could be looked upon as being a benefit to them so that that is reflected in their personal life, reflected in the, in the way that they do everything, whether it's work or at home? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that, David. And the reality is, is that when you inject new blood, even for a short period of time, to a business boardroom or you know, to challenge you personally, it creates new ideas, it creates new thinking, it creates new opportunities, and often it dispels a lot of traditional ways of, that a business has been operating because for the first time somebody comes into the business and says, so why are we doing this? I know we've done it for 15 years, but why are we doing it now when we have all of this change in technology around us and we don't seem to be taking advantage of any of it? Now, that acts as a great segue, Phil. I'd like to talk about technology. In my programming, I guess the success is in what I call the narrative. It has a lot to do with communication. But for me, it's a more conscious narrative that people can engage in, listen to with the length of these programs. Technology, I think, and the way that it's used is so misunderstood. I think that a lot of people would say, well, technology has driven jobs abroad. It's taken the the lifeblood out of our R&D mechanism in this country, and it, it's lost a lot of jobs. But I think that there's a much deeper meaning in technology in the way that we have to transform our businesses. I think technology increases competitiveness. And if you don't adopt technology, then you lose your competitive edge. And so businesses today have to adopt it. It's not, not an option, it's a necessity because it, it directly relates to their ability to continue to dominate their niche market or operate in the marketplace. And sometimes that's hard. And, and you know, the challenge with technology is it's constantly changing. I must have got my new iPhone, my, my 3GS, you know, six months ago, and, and now the new iPhone 4 is out. But the reality is, is that as a business owner, I have to adopt the technology because some of the direct benefits of that will flow through to greater efficiencies, greater profitability and greater customer interaction. I had a conversation with a very well-known film editor this morning who was literally thinking of throwing in the towel because he could no longer chase technology. He could not keep up with it and that it was almost turning him into a technician rather than being a, a story editor or a, a narrator. And I said to him, what we are challenged with in our jobs for the sake of our children is that we have to tame technology in a way now to be able to take greatest benefit out of it but not let it rule us. Would you agree mm. with that? I totally agree with that and I think if it's harnessed well uh, it gives you much greater freedoms than you know you have previously had. You know I mean you look at the cell phone today is that you know, how on earth did we ever operate a business without cell phones? You know, 10, 15 years ago when, when they didn't exist, you know, life was very, very different and it's given people portability, it's given people the opportunity to have much greater contact with customers and much greater freedom and, and I think that's a positive thing and I think that the job of good quality business leaders is to be constantly looking for what's the next big idea, how can we integrate that to our business how can we flow those benefits back down to our customer and into our market so that we can have greater market share? And with technology, how can companies now across the board from small to large size businesses harness technology and at the same time retain employment? 
What is the method in your mind, the way that they can do that, but bring people back into jobs? I think employment is maintained through business growth. And business growth is determined by your ability to capture and own an area of the marketplace. And so I'm not a subscriber to the theory that says you just need to keep the 100 staff and if technology change changes and you, you should lay off 40, you just need to keep the 100 staff. I think you've got to listen to the marketplace and you've got to be real as a business owner. And if you grow the business and you use technology, then those two things should work together to create greater profitability and ongoing staff sustainability. And I think that that's key. So this idea that I have of taming technology to create a parity between employment, crafts, trades, jobs, and yet the unique opportunities that you have out of technology to be able to continue with the global business model that you have probably has a good premise there. Well, it does, and I think you've touched on a really interesting point, and that's that, you know, businesses have traditionally thought regionally or, you know, on a citywide basis. Now with technology, you know, the world is your oyster. You can set up a web page and anybody can purchase it. It can purchase items on that web page from anywhere in the world. With contract warehousing, it's very easy for you to be able to supply products to anybody in the world. So I think that opportunities that that technology has created to open up millions and millions and millions of people in additional markets is huge. And the challenge for business owners is to rise to uh, capture that and and to stop the regional thinking and start thinking bigger than they have been. Looking at the presidential inner circle, what is the core mission of this organisation? Now, clearly, we have to connect more. We have to have better communication. And I suspect since the early 90s that we did go through some pain with technology and the internet where communication broke down. It became more in written form and less in verbal form. How do you see this, where we're going to go here? Well, I mean, the presidential inner circle really is designed as a think tank for quality entrepreneurs to achieve sort of three things. Firstly, um, access to other quality minds that would inspire them, challenge them and help them grow their business. Secondly, to give them avenues to uh, have their business brand or product uh, marketed in ways that uh, they couldn't do through any other general distribution medium. Uh, And the third um, way is to celebrate the journey of success in, in being an entrepreneur is that, you know, when you work hard, you want to be able to play hard, you want to be able to enjoy some of the fruits of your labor. And so... Those are the three key focuses that we have. And, you know, really the fourth one that sort of sits in the background is we do a huge amount of what I would call power broking, which is bringing entrepreneurs together that have a common goal, a common focus, and can do deals with one another that would normally never meet one another because they're outside of each other's field of influence. You know, my reputation is I'm a connector. I bring two people that would never meet together to consummate a business deal that will hugely benefit both of them by their interaction and relationship with me. Now, does this cover more than one ideology? Do you sometimes look at a company that may be in the biotech area, perhaps, and you you might look at the scientists behind it, you may look at the R&D, and given that scientists very often live in a box and are not communicative, do you look at ways in which you can open up that paradigm so that you can get a better communication between scientists, business leaders, uh, politicians? Yes, definitely. The connectedness of people, you know, that determines the the power of them. If they're not connected, then they're not powerful. And, 
you know, really our job at the presidential inner circle is, is to improve those connections. And often what we find, David, is, is that entrepreneurs are so focused and they're so driven and they're so passionate about their own business, they really don't have the time or focus to start thinking outside of that and, and building other relationships. And so to be able to plug into a, a global organisation that immediately gives them access to a range of tools and resources that they don't have um, empowers them in a way that you know few other organisations or entities can. Is that possibly uh, not an attribute for leaders? Is that they try to be too multifaceted, try to take too many positions up rather than and this is where, Phil, I went back to my initial statement that maybe leaders have to have third parties in to, to think about those areas of the humanities, think about the areas of how people work, how people think, how you should think as a leader, how other people think, whether they're scientists, artists, writers, whatever, to actually take that pressure off of them so that they don't have to be throwing up or, or juggling too many balls at a time. Mm, mm. I think challenge creates growth, and growth is what creates dollars. And so the more you can challenge a business owner or its employees on its structure or its performance, the more growth you're going to have. And I think that that's really positive. I think the challenge for most business owners or the dilemma for most business owners is that they need to operate with an open mind rather than a closed mind. Um, they need to be prepared to accept new ideas and they need to be prepared to defend the position that they have and, and potentially change it because it may, in fact, need changing. Does this mean a different level of transparency and honesty between the boardroom and those people on the shop floor? Yeah, I love the word honesty. You know, I, I think some of the values that businesses had 20 years ago have really been lost in the shuffle of... Uh, busyness and the increase in activity and I think too often people compromise principles they compromise their integrity you know they compromise what their business stands for and I actually think that the strongest businesses are those that have people that have got very very strong um, character traits and, and are very very clear on what they want the business to achieve and are not prepared to compromise on, on the basic principles of you know integrity and honesty and, and trust that's at the end of the day what a customer wants. They want a great product, but the only way that they will have an enduring relationship with the business is if they have you know, underlying integrity and trust and honesty. And so I think those are values that you know, businesses need to bring back into the forefront of what they're doing rather than leaving them off onto the side and looking at them occasionally when it suits. In that, if you have a product-based company and that product sits on a, a shelf in Walmart and the product is essentially good, but the ethics behind it are poor... What do you have to do in that mechanism to change that perception of people? Because people are becoming more informed and they're certainly becoming more frugal in their spending habits. What is it that you have to complement the product to reflect the moral standing of the leaders and the people that work in that company? I think as a business owner, you've got to be bold enough to say that the consumer owns the marketplace, not the business. And you've got to be bold enough to say if the consumer wants us to have a change in our values because we need to be more green or we need to be more focused on ethics and integrity or we need to show that the business is not just a big corporate monster, that it actually has heart and demonstrate that it's caring for people and that it's you know, contributing in a philanthropic way, I think that that's critical. 
the consumer, when they go into a supermarket, has a choice, and they're going to execute the choice based on the brand relationships that they've developed, and those brand relationships come down to uh, the personality that you've crafted for yourself as a business. And in that event, does there need to be a different perception as well of those on the shop floor in all of those levels of management and in trades? Is the marketing got to change there, Phil, so that that transparency and honesty, belief, vision, clarity of their understanding of their product for the consumer, does that need to change today? There has to be congruency. So you can't have a position in corporate head office that isn't communicated in all of your packaging, advertising, distribution, and the way in which your staff and employees work to the marketplace. You have to have congruency so that there is one focus, one message, and it flows right the way through the organization. If you can do that, then you create brand equity, you create loyalty, you create passionate consumers that will talk about your product and will be the best advocates for it in the marketplace by far. What would you say you could cite as companies that are leading the way in this now? I spoke today about Apple. I think Apple's doing a very, very good job in terms of communicating that you know they are a technology leader, they're innovative, they're doing things differently, they're not watching their competitors, they're cutting their own track, and they constantly tend to surprise people. And I think that they have they've built a bridge between the brand and the consumer by putting stores in malls and they have designed those stores in a way which uh, again proves that they're a radical uh, you know brand leader in the marketplace so uh, there's lots of examples but you know that's probably one uh, you know that's in vogue with the the discussion that we've had today which is just starkly obvious Um, and you know if you look at you know the, the microsoft's you look at some of the other companies in that IT area, you've got to say that the pace of development at Apple seems to outpace any of the other competitors. They, they just are releasing new innovations faster than anybody else, and that has to come down to the internal processes and the way that they're operating as a business. You know, almost it is such a severe world now that I'm guessing here, but I would say that there's probably 400 major, major corporations in the world. Would you agree, Phil, that there are going to be sacrifices here? There are going to be companies that fall because either they're not prepared to move with the times or that they fall because they try to be too clever perhaps toyota could be cited in that argument perhaps trying to work too quickly trying to create technology too quickly and being burnt by that because they're just outpacing themselves Mm. i think that you have to have the balance between technology development and quality deployment if you don't deploy it in a quality way then what happens is is that you actually damage the brand rather than enhancing the brand and I, i think apple has really got the mix right. I think there's other examples. You look back with Bill Gates years ago when the internet was released and, you know, Microsoft chose to have no focus on the internet. They didn't think that it was going to be a big thing. It was just a sideshow. You know, they put all of their business momentum into other areas. And, you know, to Bill Gates' great credit, he realized that the actual technology was shifting massively towards the internet and change the whole direction of Microsoft to to start catching up. And I think that's the sign of a quality business leader, somebody that's prepared to make a call 
but continue to monitor the marketplace and realise that they do need to make a strategic shift and renege on the initial decision and get back in vogue with what you know what consumers want. Uh, given that internet is so strong and clearly the paradigm of the future, and I suspect in a way, given the economic circumstances the world finds itself in at the moment, that the internet is stalling slightly, trying to refigure its future. But nevertheless, I'm sure that you would agree with me that it certainly is the future in whatever form that is. I think the future, David, is is going to be handheld devices with data communications. I think that... You know, if you look at the transition to, you know, the number of apps that are available now and how people are using cell phone data networks to interact with a range of different products or services, that really has, you know, started some momentum both with social media and with customer buying patterns that I think you can't ignore. That must be the changing or that will reflect the changing habits and those needs of the consumer that you talked about before because now they are creating technology with mobile applications where the consumer and the advertiser can unknowingly be talking to each other about habits, about buying, about cost, about quality. Could that be a complete shift here where mobile applications serves as the whole communication level between those two groups? Yeah, I think it, I think it can be. I think the other thing that mobile devices have done is they've created immediacy. It's like, you know, the internet was, well, when I get back to the office, I'll update it. Now it's, I'm going to punch it into my, uh, into my application on my phone and it's live immediately. Now I'm going to take the photo of that rugby game or that football game in progress and, and it's live immediately. So, there has been a, a pace shift with businesses where the pace has shifted to you can't now do it at the end of the day. People want it now. They want to see it now. They want to interact with it now. They want to participate in it now. You know, and that's a huge shift to where things were you know, even five years ago. Do you think perhaps there's something that we can inspire people to be less demanding in a way? in technology and wanting things you know i can remember back in my day phil you would be proud to have the record the vinyl sitting on the shelf it was it was a tangible product now you know the kids will uh, go to mum and say can i have your credit card so i can download an itunes and they'll listen to it once and that will be it do you think there's also a different philosophy there for our kids that we can teach them that that tangible product is is worth working for is worth more than just this instant gratification? I think it's very important that children learn delayed gratification. We live in an age of fast food, fast phones, fast cars. And the reality is is that too often, I think, parents make it easy for children by turning around and saying, you know, look, here's the car for your birthday. And, you know, the child has no appreciation of the saving or the work or the hard effort that's gone into actually creating that. And so I'm a big subscriber of you have to have delayed gratification for children. You have to get them to realize that there is a sacrifice that needs to be made. And sometimes waiting for something is good because it shows that's really important and it shows that you are prepared to sacrifice some other things in your life to get it. Now, is that a methodology that we should all be applying also in business now? It seems that a lot of large business right now, and of course with our circumstances, are driving ahead with campaigns that are not working, very much like the film industry. They are driving out films there that sometimes you you think will be absolute blockbusters and they bulk, they fall. Again, is it something that we should be more 
precise with now in business, especially with larger businesses where they should really back off from this instantaneous sort of business planning and perhaps think deeper about what they're providing, how they're providing it and how their end consumer can benefit from it? Yeah, I think it's a review of the total integration from development through to supply. And, you know, there's a lot of steps in that process. And it really is going back and, and you know, reviewing what you're doing. And, and that should be something that businesses do on, on a constant basis. That's the fun of being an entrepreneur. It's a constantly changing ball game. I refer to businesses. Business is just a, it's a monopoly game, but you play it with real money. And, you know, there are huge risks and huge rewards and largely the outcome is determined by the quality of the person and the preparedness of the person that's running the business to grow and change and adapt to the market. Now, you're known as the connector here, Phil. What is it that we have to change in that narrative, in that communication going forward? You connect people, you connect businesses and deals, and you connect people that may not even be in the same SEC sectors or in anything that has any parity. What is it that we need to create in that verbal communication again, rather than trying to completely rely on the, the Internet? How do we as people have to have a different narrative? Oh, that's a great question. That's, that's the best question of, of the interview. I've got to say that for all of the strengths of social media, I think in many ways businesses have become too reliant on it and it has disempowered them. Uh, I think if you go back to the traditional business values of 20 years ago where people wanted to do business face-to-face, people wanted to have a telephone conversation, people had a level of uh, personal service and care and attention that uh, in many ways communication has dispensed with or businesses have dispensed with. And I actually think the future is a return to leveraging communication to communicate with the customer but making sure that you are going back to delivering tight quality personal service and customer care like we were 20 years ago and, and I guess you know my job with the presidential on a circle is really to do that for entrepreneurs is just is to have face time with them to talk about their businesses to talk about one of the questions I ask a, a business owner is I say if we could get you in front of 10 people on the next 12 months that would change your business or your life, what would the names of those 10 people be? And then my job is to go out and power broker opportunities to get the entrepreneur alongside those, those people. Before you make that commitment, though, Phil, to people, what is it that you're looking in those people that are approaching you for this capability, this opportunity? What is it that you instinctively know is going to put them in a position where if you do that, they are going to succeed? Passion and a commitment to success. You know, entrepreneurs don't give up. They don't fail. They keep going. They are prepared to think outside the box. If you have passion and a commitment to success, I will work with you every single day. If you, as long as you can, you know, cover the cost of entry into the presidential inner circle, those are the attributes that will drive you forward, uh, you know, whether you're an actor, whether you're an attorney, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether, you know, you're a scientist. If you have those commitments, that's what determines success. How is the general business atmosphere now? I know you're California-based. How do you think that it's going to go? What is your viewpoint over the next uh, 12 months, 18 months? We've got a byline with the presidential inner circle, which is you are who you associate with or you are the company that you keep. And I guess my attitude is is that if you are associating with business owners that are having a tough time and are having a whinging session, then you're probably going to adopt their philosophies. If you're associating with entrepreneurs that 
uh, killing the marketplace, launching new campaigns, um, being dynamic, being different, thinking outside the box, then that's going to have a direct effect and direct you know, correlation on your business. I think the economy has shifted. It, it's, it's definitely not recessionary anymore, but I wouldn't say that it's booming by any circumstances. I think it's really been a period of consolidation over the last two years for businesses to look hard at what they're doing, get rid of the stuff that's not working, and position themselves for you know a really good next 12 months. I, I really like that. You know, you're talking essentially about communicate and interact with people through a high level of wisdom and discernment and, you know, work with people who are successful, who have the will to succeed, who are not pessimistic. And I think that you have to apply that to your personal life as much as you do to business life. Now, they both are affecting each other. Oh, look, definitely. You know, anybody can identify that there's an oil spill. It, it takes somebody to, you know, to have a few brains to identify what's the solution to it. You know, and to get together and work as a team and implement that. And, you know, you know I think that's what now in the oil spill scenario has been seriously lacking. There should have been a much greater level of leadership. I, you know, I would have said no amount of money is too great. Uh, we want a collection of the top scientists in the world. We're going to fly them to wherever we're going to fly them to. We're going to put them in a room. And then no one's leaving until we've got this thing sorted and we can get it implemented. It's just to have it go on for as long as it have, has without the the direction and the leadership and the, and the accountability and everybody just finger-pointing, I don't think that that helps actually fix the problem. Yeah, and do you run this business, run the way that you mentor people and bring together people by saying to them, look, concentrate on business foremost, uh, don't get involved into the political arguments, the political uh, philosophies and dilemmas? I totally subscribe to that. In fact, you know, you'll laugh, David. I'm out every night networking and, uh, you know, for my business uh, in the community, so I don't get to watch TV. And so I was shocked a couple of weeks ago to find out that, you know, the oil spill was continuing because I don't watch TV. I I don't listen to the news. Why would I listen to something which is negative and pessimistic when I can read a book or interact with somebody that's moving forward? Um, Those are the people that I want to connect with because those are the people that add value to my life. What is it going forward here in the last couple of minutes, Phil, that you're doing these days? What's exciting in your life? What's exciting for me is, uh, you know, we've got the the presidential inner circle and it really is having a, a dramatic impact on powering businesses. Um, We're connecting people, doing deals that they wouldn't do if they weren't part of the group, and um, they're able to get access to an increasing range of things. And so, you know, we're set to expand over the next 36 months to um, 36 cities uh, around the world, and, you know, you're going to see us dominate the entrepreneur landscape in terms of uh, empowering people in a way that's never been done before. It's amusing to me that here I am, an entrepreneur from New Zealand, the bottom of the world, that comes to L.A. with an idea that no one else has had, and it's proven to be exceptionally good, and we're now out there to cast the nets as far and wide with it as we can to help as many people as possible. Phil Jones of the Presidential Inner Circle, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a wonderful conversation. I've I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure. And to our listeners of In Discussion, hope you have enjoyed this program as well. You can uh, visit Phil at thepresidentialinnercircle.com. It's a wonderful website, a lot of good information on that, and you can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.